Here in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, After this there was a feast unto the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for a movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. We'll stop reading there. Back and back up to verse one, chapter five of John. After this, there was a after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Folks, we don't know for certain what feast this was. Uh, it's not that important. But I can guarantee you that Jesus Christ went out of his way to go to that feast. It was a feast that was set forth in the laws that God put forth. Jesus Christ wasn't concerned about man-made feasts. He wasn't concerned about man-made festivals, but he was concerned with keeping the law that his father had put forth over in the Old Testament. Uh, verse 2, now, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. There is a pool uh, by this uh, by the sheep market or by the sheep gate. Uh, a pool named Bethesda, as I've already said, Bethesda in the Hebrew tongue being a word for mercy. That means mercy. But it says that there's five porches at this pool. There's five places, five alcoves, five uh, five areas where people uh, can can go to this. Pool uh, can linger around this pool uh, called Bethesda or called Mercy, and it's right at the sheep gate coming into the city. Folks, if you turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 and you read about the building of the walls that surround Jerusalem way over in the Old Testament after the exile and after the Jews are allowed to go back, you'll see that this sheep gate was the first gate that was put up. Now, the sheep gate is where the sacrificial animals were taken into the city the lamb being first and foremost of those animals. I know that there were other animals. There were sheep. There were goats. There were bullocks. There were all kinds of animals that were allowed in. But the lamb was the one that, was, that took the top notch of that ladder. The lamb is what John Baptist called Jesus Christ as he saw him coming down the riverbank when he said, Behold, the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The lamb is what Jesus Christ is called over and over and right inside the sheep gate right inside the sheep market was this pool called Bethesda having five porches five in the biblical numerology being a number of favor and being a number of grace and if you flip over to John chapter 6 it was with two fish and five loaves of bread that Jesus Christ fed multitudes of people 
Pops are all over the scripture showing grace over in the book of Genesis. Joseph, when he gives his brothers Raymond, he gave Benjamin five extra changes of Raymond. Not because Benjamin deserved it, but because he had obtained the grace and the mercy of a man named Joseph, his brother. So we got five porches in this place called Mercy. This place, this place called Bethesda. There's five porches. Grace, mercy. We've got the Lamb of God right there in this place of mercy. And it says, In these days lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for a movement of the water. Folks, that describes the, the state of Israel in that day. It describes the state of the world in the year 2021 that we live in right now. But John was describing the state of the state that Israel was in. It says by this pole, by this place called Bethesda, by the place with the very name of mercy lay a bunch of folks. It says that they were impotent folks. They were blind. They were hauled. They were withered, waiting for a movement of the water, waiting on the moving of the water. He was describing Israel here. They were blind. They were hauled and they were made. They were blind. They couldn't see their condition. They could only Hear about their condition. They were halt, meaning they had no movement about them. That's the same word for impotent here. The same meaning for impotent. They had no strength by themselves. And folks, they were blind, halt. They were withered. They could do no work for Almighty God because they had depended upon themselves for centuries at this point, not depending on God. Not depending on the giver of the law, but depending upon the law itself. And people are in that same shape nowadays. They are in the same shape. If I just do this, God will be pleased with me. If I just do that, God will be pleased with me. I'm talking about lost folks. These folks in Israel here, hey, they were the apple of God's eye. They were those chosen of God through a man named Abraham over in the book of Genesis. Yes, they were chosen of God, but they had become so dependent upon themselves and upon their own actions and upon these, these animal sacrifices and saying, hey, if I just do this, if I just take a couple of turtle doves, if I take take a goat, if I take a sheep, if I take a bullet, and I give it unto the priest, and he offers it up as a sacrifice for me, me and God will be just fine, folks. That was not the purpose of the sacrifices. Those sacrifices had one purpose. That was to point to mercy who was standing before this impotent man right here at the pool of Bethesda. It pointed at Jesus Christ. They were never meant to reconcile man back to God. Only one could do that. And he was standing right here at the sheep market. Right at the sheep gate. Right here at this pool. Right here within these five porches. Mercy itself was at this man. This man that was impotent. He couldn't do anything for himself. He was without strength. He was blind. He was halted. He was made. He was withered. He was useless to society. And Jesus Christ was about to show just how useful he could be, though. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For an angel went down. Says he was waiting. He was waiting for a moving of the water. Take that one verse. 
in the consideration now. I about got ahead of myself. In these, in these, in these porches, in these little dugout places. They've, they've in recent years uncovered the pool of Bethesda. They've discovered it over in Israel in our archaeological digs. Me and Missy actually saw a video about that a month or two back. I guess it was. That's been in recent years that they discovered this pool of Bethesda. Folks, Jesus Christ didn't work very many miracles within the confines, within the city of Jerusalem. He didn't work very many miracles there at all. Most of his miracles were at the towns that were surrounding Jerusalem and the places surrounding Jerusalem upon across the water from where Jerusalem was. Hey, Jesus Christ did not work many miracles here, but this is one that he did. This is one that he did, but it says in these, in these porches lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for moving of the water. They were blind, they were halt, they were withered, and they were waiting. What were they waiting on? I know the scripture says on the moving of the water. And it says why? Because an angel in a certain season will come down and trouble the water. Folks, if that was an angel of God. I, I don't know. Let me back up. I don't know that that was an angel of God. I don't know that that was an act, uh, an act of God or not, because that would create derision. That would create confusion. It would create confoundedness. And not only that, but it would also create discord amongst the people of God that were gathered around that pool. And according to Proverbs chapter six, God hates those hands that sow discord. He hates that which sows discord among the brethren. So I'm not positive that this troubling of the water was of God. But if it was, it was to point to this one moment. This one moment that we are reading about in these nine verses. It was to point to this one moment how people would gather around this pool. The pool of Bethesda. They would gather there. They would wait on this troubling of the water, maybe for days, maybe for weeks. It just says in a certain season that the angel will come down. Some people said it was once a year. Folks, I can't find that in Hebrew history. I can't, certainly can't find it in the Bible. It just says at a certain season, an angel would come down and it would trouble the water. I don't know if that troubling was sticking a finger in the water. I don't know if it was causing the water to bubble up. I don't know what that trouble was. It doesn't matter. But at a certain season, something would trouble the water and the first person in that water that's the one that would get the heal the healing that's the one that would that would be made whole uh, in this circumstance but these people were blind they were hawked and they were withered they were useless but they were waiting they were waiting for a troubling of the water and folks they were also waiting on Messiah they were waiting on Messiah to come on Messiah that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the rest of the Old Testament. They were waiting on that Messiah to come to come forth. That Messiah was standing right here in front of this man here at the pool of Bethesda. He was standing here uh, and it says, For an angel went down a certain season in the pool of trouble of the water, who served them first after then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity. Thirty and eight years. Don't just read over that and continue on. That's very significant that this certain man, it doesn't give a name for him, but it says he had an infirmity for thirty and eight years. Thirty-eight years he had been laying there. Thirty-eight years. I don't know if maybe his family brought him, laid him there, took him back 
back home at night? I don't know. But 38 years, he'd been laying there impotent. He'd been laying there withered. He'd been laying there unable to help himself. He was in a hopeless state. What's significant about it? If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, you'll read that from the time that the Israelites left Mount Sinai when they came under the law, when they came under the law to the time that they began the conquest into the promised land, it was 38 years. 38 years they were under the law of God. 38 years, Deuteronomy 2.14. Don't believe me, if you look it up in your Bible, you make sure I'm telling it right. Deuteronomy 2.14. 38 years from the, the giving of the law to the conquest into the promised land. From the giving of the law to the promise that God had made. From the giving of the law, folks, 38 years they had spent. They had spent from the giving of the law under the under God coming through with His promise. As I've already said, they were waiting on Messiah. Yes, they were waiting on trouble in the water. They've been waiting on Messiah for a whole lot longer. Hey, they've been under the law all this time. They have been under the law that was given in Exodus chapter 20. They were under the law that God had given to Moses and Moses had given to the people of God. But now, grace had entered in on the scene and these five porches at the, around the pool of Bethesda, grace and mercy and truth and righteousness were around all these people. Hallelujah. Amen. 38 years they spent. Yeah. Uh, the Israelites under the law before the conquest began. 38 years this man had an infirmity. Every bit of scripture is important, folks. Don't you look over a single word without delving into it to see exactly what it means. Every bit of scripture has significant divine meaning to it. Every bit of it does. <clears throat> certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? What, was the, what kind of question was that? Wilt thou be made whole? Of course he wanted to be made whole. Of course it was his will that he be made whole. Of course that was. Folks, that's the will for any of us. When we get sick, we get a runny nose, we get a headache, we get coughing, we get what stomach problems, whatever the case is. If somebody come up to us and said, Wilt thou be made whole? Of course we would be made whole. What kind of question is that? Jesus Christ, though, he wanted this man to see his condition. He wanted him to feel his condition. Wanted him to completely understand his condition. That's why he asked the question, Wilt thou be made whole? So if this man, hey folks, this was Jesus Christ. This is the man just four chapters previous, or three chapters previously, that turned water into wine. This is a man that had healed folks. This is a man that the word is bound to have spread about and all around the people of Jerusalem. But he walked in here, went straight to this man, and no one else recognized him. No one said this is Messiah. No one, hey, all these other accounts you see of, of Jesus' healings, what happens? Throngs of people come around him. They follow him into the houses. They follow him from house to house. They follow him from town to town, from field to field. People are coming all about, but he enters into this, or he goes around to this pool at Bethesda, and not one of these people recognized him. The man that he was addressing didn't even know who he was. Hallelujah. 
if that don't show the sovereignty of God, I don't know what does. If that doesn't prove what Paul quotes in Romans chapter 5, or Romans chapter 9, I'm sorry, when he says, he'll bless him, he'll bless, and he'll curse him, he'll curse. You ever wondered why you're saved and somebody two or three houses down the street from you is lost? You ever wonder why God saved you, didn't save them? Ever wonder why Jesus Christ didn't just walk onto these five porches and just heal them all? I'll tell you why. Because he's sovereign. He could heal who he wanted to. He could have done that. He could have very easily. He could save the entire planet right now if he wanted to. With one snap of his divine finger, it could be done. But that ain't the way God planned it. That ain't the way God intended it. And therefore, that is not the way that it'll happen. No. It will not happen like that. <clears throat> Jesus on line knew he'd been there a long time. As a, as just like the previous chapter, John chapter 4. He knew all about that woman there at the well, that Samaritan woman. He said, go fetch your man. Go get your man. Go get your husband. He said, I have no man, Lord. He said, you're right. You're right. You've been married five times. And that one you're living with right now, he ain't even your husband. He knew all about her. She said, I perceive thou art a prophet. But she quickly changed the subject. She quickly changed the subject. Talking about how their father had dug that well. Jesus says, no, let's back back up. Don't you, don't you go this direction on me. And she starts talking about the mountain. She starts talking about, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ says, you, your people, meaning the Samaritans, those half-breed Jews, that the Jews, would, that the full-blooded Jews would have nothing to do with. The Samaritans wanted nothing to do with the Jews. He said, he said the Samaritans, hey, one of these days, it won't matter if they go into the mountain. It won't matter if you go to Jerusalem. Those that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God Himself is a spirit. And when long after that, you see that woman running into town saying, come see a man that told me all I ever did is not this, the Christ. Amen. He introduced herself, or Himself. In a long roundabout way, he introduced himself. Mm -hmm. But she knew, she knew he had known all about her. All about her. He knew. <coughs> he knew all about this man. Says he knew he'd been in that shape for a long time. He knew. Says, says when Jesus saw him lie and knew he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Will thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir. I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. The great physician, <laughs> praise God, the great physician was standing there directly in front of this man, speaking to him, asking a question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? And he says, sir, I have no man. He's still worried about man. He's still worried about the pool. He's still worried about creation instead of the creator that was standing right there before him. He's still worried about uh, all these things that never could help him to begin with. He's still probably still worried about the law, wondering what kind of what kind of sin he could he have possibly committed to have put up with this infirmity that he had had for the past 38 years. He's worried about everything except for the man that is standing before him that can make him whole, that can heal him, that can do something about his present case. He's still worried about mankind, worried about the pool, worried about the water, everything except what he needed to be focused on. Amen. Yeah. The 
that man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Don't depend on man to help you get there. Church, don't depend on man. Don't depend on me. Don't depend on your deacons. Don't depend on husbands. Don't depend on wives. Don't depend on teachers. Don't depend on any man to get you there. You depend on Jesus Christ. You depend on his work and not your own. You don't depend on works of the law. People can, people can quit going on, out on their wives all day long and still wind up in hell. People can live good moral lives all that they want to and still go straight to hell. The Bible says that if a man keepeth the whole law yet offendeth in one point, he is guilty of all. James chapter, uh, James chapter 2 says that too, tells us that if a man keeps the whole law and offends in one point, he is guilty of everything meaning you are guilty of sin I am guilty of sin regardless of how not guilty we feel about it the Bible says otherwise for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we were all in the shape of this impotent man laying by the pool we were all halt. we were all blind we were all withered we could do nothing for God until God came to where we were just like he did this man Jesus had to go to him. Yeah. If he had folks to take him to this pool, I wonder if they gave up on him. I wonder if maybe the first 15 years of that infirmity, he had brothers or sisters, maybe a father, that would pick him up, carry him to that pool, lay him down there, and say, now if you see that water trouble, just roll a few times. Yeah. Maybe you can get in there. Maybe you can get somebody else to help you get in there. Or maybe they sat down there by the pool for them for the first 5, 10, 15 years. But then they gave up. Then they gave up. And this man was still, was still dependent on man. He was still dependent on man. 38 years with this infirmity. He was still dependent on man. Sir, I have no man to help me in. When the water's troubled, somebody beats me to it. When the water's troubled, I can't get in before somebody else does. Folks, this is, this is a, one of the most pitiful stories you can read about in all of the Bible. It is a story of helplessness of this man. It is a story of hopelessness for this man. He had, he had an infirmity for 38 years and could do nothing about it and could find nobody else to help him, just like the woman with the issue of blood. She went to everybody she knew, went to every doctor she knew, and instead of getting better, she rather grew worse until Jesus Christ stepped in on the scene. Jesus Christ passed through the town that she was in. Jesus Christ came by her way. She made her way to Christ and bam she was made whole this man here <clears throat> I said word, word is bound to have already been spread about Jesus he walks into this pool nobody recognizes him nobody says this is the cross nobody says this is that miracle worker nobody says nobody says at this point ain't this the carpenter's son that I've been hearing so much about ain't this the one the one that, that's healed blind people ain't this the one that turned the water into wine ain't this the one that, that, that done all these wonderful things that we've been hearing about folks I know we're only in the fifth chapter of John here but Christ had performed miracles some of them you can read about in the first four chapters of John not even the one that Jesus Christ went to. Jesus passed by all those people. And people would say, well, that wasn't very nice of him. I've heard that. 
I've heard people say it's not very nice of God to save some and not save others. Who are you to tell what, what God can do and what he can't do? Who am I to say what God can do and what he can't do? A just God and a holy God can do anything he wants to. The creator of this universe owns the universe. He can do with it what he wants, when he wants, and he doesn't need your or my permission to do it. Praise God. That's the sovereign God that I, that I serve. That's the sovereign God that saved me. Yeah. He goes to this man, though. Nobody recognizes him. He says, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming... Catch that. While I'm coming, mm-hmm. while I'm doing something, yeah. while I'm putting forth my effort, while I'm doing something, while I'm rolling my way to that pool, while I'm clawing, I'm trying my best to get there, while I'm coming, somebody else beats me to it. Praise God, that's the same shape that the world is in now. They're depending on their own actions. They're depending on their own works. They're depending on their own strength, their own everything to do it. But what the world doesn't realize is that they are groping around in darkness. The Bible says, the book of Proverbs says, those that walk around in darkness know not everything what they stumble. They could stumble right over Jesus Christ and never realize it. They stumble over the law all day long. That's what most of them do. They stumble right over it. But they could stumble right over salvation and never know it. Never know it. This man says when I am coming, when I'm making my way to that pool, when I'm doing, using my own strength and my own effort, another step up down before me. Jesus saith unto him, rise, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. <laughs> Jesus didn't ask him for a storytelling session. And Jesus didn't give him a storytelling session. Jesus went to him, he said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now this ain't a bed like you and I think of. He didn't pick up a California king-size mattress along, along with the bed frame and the headboard and the footboard. This would have been a cotton cod. Yeah. That, that, and it would have been, had little thin strips of wood on the bottom of it to keep it together. It would have been sewn. It would have been intertwined, almost weaved on the bottom to keep it all together. And you could roll it up and take it anywhere that you went. That's the kind of bed that he was talking about. That's what he was talking about here. He says, but rise, take up thy bed and walk. After this man saw his condition. After he said, when I'm coming, another step within the pool. Jesus is like, I got something better than that. You don't even have to get in the pool. You don't have to worry about another man. You don't have to go this way at all. You've, been, you've had this infirmity for 38 years. How about you get healed of it this day, this hour, right now? How about I heal that? Hey, you don't have to go to the doctor's office 1,500 times. You don't have to pay copay after copay. He tells him, he says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Hey, when Jesus Christ saved me, it was no different. He didn't save me a little bit one day and a little bit more another day. When I was saved, I was utterly saying praise God salvation comes like that salvation comes like that we don't get saved and get the Holy Ghost a year later the Bible says without his spirit you're none of his when we get saved we receive the Holy Spirit right then and right there to be our God to be our help to be the one that guides us teaches us and shows us he helps us we get his spirit at the moment of salvation praise God 
and not a second later, and certainly not a second sooner. Certainly not. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. You're healed. You're healed. Now listen, we can read about other, other miracles that happened. <coughs> People, there was a blind man that was healed. Jesus healed him. First time around, he said, I see men as trees. And there's a sermon in that. Oh, yeah. There's a big lesson in that. Oh, yeah. That wasn't because Christ's strength or Christ's uh, power to heal was weakened. Uh, there's a big lesson in that. Big lesson. I might teach you to preach it one of these days. But he said, I see men as trees. Jesus told him to go do, do it again. Go wash yourself again. Wash his eyes out again. He done it again. He saw clear as day. Oh, yeah. There's a... There's a heresy out there right now, and it's gaining momentum, it's gaining popularity over the past several years called piecemeal salvation. Don't you buy into that for a second? Being that God saves you a little bit now, yeah. saves you a little bit, maybe three weeks, three months, four years from now. They call it a piecemeal salvation. Yeah. There ain't a bit of scripture to back it up. Yeah. Not one iota, not one verse, not one line out of a verse to back that kind of heresy up. The Bible says that God is able to save to the uttermost. And he is able to do that. And it also says in Philippians chapter 1, it says, when <clears throat> those that are saved, speaking of those that are saved, it says God will finish that which he has started in us. Mm -hmm. He will finish it. Folks, that don't mean that he's piecing together our salvation as we go along. Praise God, what would happen if I had, if I like, or if I, if I needed a hundred pieces to get saved, I get to that 99th one, something happens, I get out on the road, get run over by a Mack truck, before I get that last piece to my salvation, I'd wind up in hell. That is heresy. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell yeah. when God saves he saves Amen. when God does something he does it right I know y'all have heard me use the, the uh, example of Abraham before when, when Abraham was old Sarah was old Sarah's womb was barren she was unable to produce children God brought life out of something that was dead though he brought life out of Sarah's dead, dead womb. And he done the same thing with Abraham. Abraham was an old man as well. But hey, he was able to fix that problem. And when he fixed it, he fixed it right. You read when he married a woman named Keturah, he had a few other children by her after Sarah had done died. When God fixed it, he done it right. And he does it for all eternity. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's my God. Jesus saith unto him, Rise up, take up thy bed. And walk, and immediately, not next week, not the next hour, not after a lunch break, immediately, the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. Mm -hmm. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Right. I say that man became a believer. Mm -hmm. Right then, he knew he'd been made whole. Now, if you continue reading in John chapter 5, you'll read where the Jews, meaning the council of Jews, oh, meaning yeah. the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and, and the, the chief priests, <coughs> they, uh, they saw this man carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. Well, God forbid. God forbid that he does that. God forbid he obeys the command of Jesus Christ that said, rise, take up thy bed and walk, regardless of what day it was on. But these Jews, they come to him. They say, it's unlawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath. And he says, the man that healed me, Folks, they would have bound, they are bound to have known this man. They are bound to know that he had laid up there at that pool. They are bound to have known that. 
And they wasn't concerned with his healing. They were concerned with him breaking the law. Yeah. A law that, that they had extenuated all beyond what God ever meant for it to mean. All beyond what he ever intended for it to be. These Jews come to this man that Jesus Christ had healed and said it's unlawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath. He says the man that healed me, the man that made me, that made me not impotent, the one that done this for me, told me to take up my bed and walk. I'm doing what he said. And all they were concerned about was who told you to do this? Yeah. <laughs> this... This is some of the greatest scripture. Man says, I was not who it was. I don't know. I don't know. Jesus has done healed him. Yeah. Jesus had come to the pool of Bethesda and healed this man. He had and never never asked that man his name. Jesus knew. And the scripture just says it was a certain man. It doesn't give a name for it. But Jesus had bypassed these multitudes of people laying upon five different porches to go to this one individual. And he healed him. Yeah. And the, the, the Jews, those higher ups, those religious folks, the churchy folks, they said, Who told you to do this? He said, I don't know. And a little while after that, says Jesus saw him in the temple. Right. Jesus saw him in the temple. What does that tell me about this man, this certain man that got healed? I wonder how many temple services he was able to go to while he was impotent. Not many. I wonder how many his family or whoever had picked him up and carried him to the temple so that he could take part in them. But boy, when he was healed, where did he go? He went to the house of God to worship. He went to the I'm sure that he knew him some scripture. He was a Hebrew. He was a Jew laying by this pool of Bethesda. He's bound to have known the scripture. I'm sure that he knew David said, said, I was happy when they said, let us go up into the house of the Lord. I'm sure that he was familiar with that scripture. I'm sure he's familiar with all kinds of Old Testament scripture that told us to rejoice in this day that the Lord has made and be glad in it. I'm sure he was familiar with all these things when Jesus Christ touched him. When he healed him, when he made him whole, he wasted no time going to the temple to worship God. Amen. And that's where Jesus Christ found him. Mm-hmm. Found him in the temple. And he goes to him and he says, Send no more. Yeah, lest the worst thing come unto you. Yeah. Send no more. What does that sound like? Flip over just a few chapters. John chapter 8. Yeah. The woman brought to Jesus in adultery. Mm-hmm. What did he tell her? He said, Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. In other words, when Jesus Christ saves you, don't go right back out to what he saved you from. When he saves saves you, hey, if he saved you from the bars, if he saved you from the strip clubs, if he saved you from the adultery, if he saved you from from all these other things, from the drinking and the drugging and everything else, don't go back out to If you go back out to those lives and you live within those lives, you've never got salvation to begin with. Because the Holy Ghost will show you different. The Holy Ghost will tug. It'll pull. It'll kick. It will make you miserable. Proclaiming to be a child of God. Living in a state like that. Until you have no choice but to run back to God. (coughs) I done knocked myself out of my place. I'm going to have to quit punching my Bible. It says the Jews therefore said unto him. That was cured. It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Yeah. Not lawful. That's all they were concerned about. 
That's all they were worried about. Not the miracle that took place. No. And the only time they were worried about the miracle, uh, the miracle worker, Jesus Christ, who <clears throat> the only time they were worried about him is when this man told him after after Jesus Christ met him in the temple, he went to those Jews. He said, "Hey, this man's in the temple. The one that healed me, the one you were asking me about, he's right down there in the temple. It's Jesus Christ." And they sought to do what? Not to worship him. No. Not to bring him in so he could uh. teach. Not to let him teach in the synagogues. Not to let him teach in one of their sessions. Not, not to be a rabbi. It says they sought to kill him. That's right. They sought to kill him. The man that had performed this miracle. Right. Now these Jews, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, high priest, or chief priests, these Jews, I guarantee you, were well aware of the miracle that took place in Canaan. I guarantee you they were well aware of that. It was right there in Jerusalem, right there in their center, in their epicenter, uh, where, where they, they hung out, where they'd done everything. I guarantee you word of that had gotten, gotten back to them. Mm-hmm. Now they were seeking Jesus, not to take him on board, and certainly not to worship him as God, which he was, but to slay him, mm-hmm. to kill him. Now praise God, this is John chapter 5 that we're reading. Praise God. John, uh, the chapters continue on. And John, they didn't catch up with him. They didn't kill him. Mm -hmm. Jesus addressed him several times. Mm -hmm. He addressed uh, other folks. Jesus kept right on with his ministry. That was the will of the Father. He kept right on with his his ministry. When the time came, though, when the hour came, that Jesus Christ was to be offered as a sacrifice, as sin sacrifice for the entire world. When that time came, it was because of God's divine plan that that was the time. You see time, you read other times in the scriptures and the other gospels where uh, they would seek to kill Jesus. They would seek to lay hands on Jesus. And, Je- and they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. They wanted to do all kinds of things to Jesus as for the scriptures, but his hour had not yet come. Praise God, it didn't come for a long, long, long time in John's gospel here. But, regardless, <clears throat> mercy, mercy entered into this man's life. This certain man that we have no idea what his name was. Mercy entered in. Jesus Christ passed by all these other people. Hawk, blind, withered. All these other people. Now, folks, we might look out at the world and say, well, this one's in worse shape than this one is. Listen, a blind person can still walk. A blind person can still grope their way around by feeling. They can still find their way around. Now, a halt person, they can't do that. They can't move. A halt person means they've been halted in their place, if you want to think of it like that. Something's wrong with their legs. Something's wrong with their mobility. They can't move. But they can still do stuff with their hands. They can still claw. They can still drag themselves. They can still work. But a withered person. The third description here. Withered person can't do any work. They might be able to see. They might be able to walk. But they can't work with their hands. They can do nothing. Their hands are withered. They're, They're drawn in. They can do nothing. So we've got blind people that can't see for God. We've got lame people or halt people that can't walk for God. And we've got withered people that can't work for God. But none of them are in as bad a shape as New Testament lost people. Folks, I know this is New Testament. 
New Testament, we are dead. Dead. We're not blind. We're not halt. And we're not withered. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. Jesus used, <clears throat> used this situation, this very scene right here at the pool of Bethesda. From these Jews, knowing they would understand that because they had all these, these halt people and these withered people and these blind people in the Old Testament, these people that had other ailments. I'm surprised there wasn't leprosy thrown in there somewhere or another, but there wasn't because that's not the way God wanted it written. But there are all these things you can find over in the Old Testament that these Jews would have been familiar with, and this was a hopeless condition. It truly took an act of God to, to, to heal somebody. From these cases here. But it says that they had all these conditions. Mm -hmm. And were waiting. They were waiting on the trouble of the water to be troubled. Yes. But folks they were waiting on Messiah. They waited on Messiah. Messiah was here. Right, right here. <coughs> Don't you forget these Jews. While they might have been blind. Hawked. And withered. Mm -hmm. They wasn't dead. No. They wasn't dead. Ephesians chapter 2. Says we were dead. And our trespasses and sin. Mm -hmm. We were unable to do anything, folks. I cannot see for God. I cannot walk for God. And I cannot work for God until Jesus Christ comes in my life. We have churches full of people now. There are pastors out there that are leading flocks of God's people right now that have never received salvation. We have people out there, leaders within churches that, that are not saved. We have people out there that are still dead in their trespasses and sin. It's dead trying to lead the dead along. Hey, Jesus Christ spoke about the blind leading the blind. Surely they would both fall into the ditch. How about a dead person trying to lead a bunch of dead people to heaven? It can't be done. But yet they all think they're okay. They all think that they're alright. They're all being fooled. They're all being deceived. The Bible says God will let them, let them do that too. Paul wrote that to the Thessalonian church. He said, believe in a lie and be damned. God will just let them go right along with it. Ain't no different in Romans chapter 1 where it says God will turn people that, that reject him, turn people that reject the truth of the word, and turn people that want to live their life the way that they want to. Women uh, denying the use of their body, men denying the use of their body, women with men, men or women with women, men with men, and all these other things that go on. It says that God will eventually turn them over to reprobate mind, let them live their lives how they want to, and they can live their lives straight into hell. And he is God. He can do that. Right. We'll look at it and say, well, that's not, that's not very just. You know what justice is? Justice would be me and you burning in hell right now. That's justice. That's justice for sinning against a holy God. But praise God, there was a way out from underneath that. Yeah. 